High FM Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose. Stephen Ambrose. Well, good morning and good to be with you this morning, even though for me it's almost evening. I am sitting in Taipei, Taiwan, having or actually currently attending the Computext uh, Technology Show, which is literally one of the biggest in Asia. Um, in and one of the major sort of tech shows in the world. And the outstanding feature of this tech show really is that I get to see all the bits and the gizmos and the gadgets and the things and the, the inside technology that gets into all the gadgets that are coming out over the next year or two. In fact, both Intel and AMD and Qualcomm, they're the guys who make all the processes for all the goodies that we use these days all the smartphones, all the computers. Um, these are the guys who made massive announcements. We'll talk about that a little later. I'm going to do sort of the local news, the South African news first, because there have been a couple of interesting developments in the last week, and we're going to talk a little bit about what's happening with Apple, because obviously they've had their big worldwide developer conference this week, and they've released you know, the, the beta preview of the new version of um, iOS 12, the latest operating system for the iPhone and the iPad, as well as a new operating system for their Macs. So there is so much to talk about. But before we get to all of that, well, uh, good news for Cape Town is it's raining, but uh, I'm going to be talking about a rain of a completely different type, which launched as of yesterday. And there is a new kid on the block, and it's called Rain, of all things. Now, essentially, what I'm talking about is there is a new broadband provider in South Africa. Now, Rain have been around for a while. They have been supplying LTE to a lot of the ISPs. So if you wanted 4G or wireless Internet from MWeb or whoever it is, you probably got hold of the rain package. You didn't know it was rain. Most people didn't even realize what they were using. They just ordered, you know, 4G wireless from uh, MWeb or one of the other ISPs, and they were supplied a little router with a SIM card, which they popped in, and off you go. Um, it was a rain SIM card. Now, what rain have done is they've been rolling out their network over the last little while, probably the last year, year and a bit. And slowly but surely, they've covered most of um, South Africa. When I say South Africa, most of urban South Africa. So all the major cities in South Africa are now covered with their towers. They built their own network. And they've set up a 4.9G, call it that. It's a 4G plus network across the country. And it's been used very effectively to offer high-speed broadband to areas where, one, either ADSL was too flaky for words, or fiber had not yet come. And I've seen people who've got speeds between 50 and 100 megabits per second, which is pretty solid, though most people get average between 15 and 25. Well, what they've done now is that they've quietly, not a big launch, but they've quietly launched onto their market their own product. So essentially... It is a Rain Mobile data package. You can buy it directly from them. The packages that they're supplying ISPs are slightly better. I will say that. So if you're looking for a, a total solution for your home, for your business, you want solid, reliable LTE or wireless-based um, Internet, then the Rain solution is a pretty good one. It competes really effectively with Telcom's LTE data Vodacom have also started giving high-usage package LTE, and so has uh, CellC. But the RAIN package is really the latest, greatest, newest technology, and it works really, really effectively. What they've done from today, and in fact, if you go to their website, RAIN, which is, as I said, at rain.co.za, you can actually see all their new um, packages and there are a couple of really, really interesting features. One, their network is pretty good. So you, wherever you go, you can wander around. Um, it'll work. You can pop a SIM-only deal into any cell phone that runs 4G, any cell phone, and it'll connect to the network, and you'll get the highest speed possible depending on your hardware. If it's a really advanced brand-new cell phone, you'll get 4G+. Plus. You'll get up to, depending where you are, how close you are to the base station, how many people are using that particular base station, you'll get up to 100 megabytes per second download speeds. And here's what's so important. It's a very simple plan. It's 50 rand per gigabyte, 
on a postpaid type environment. So you only pay for what you use. Data never expires. It's not like every other mobile network where you buy five gig data. If you use it, great. If you don't use it, you lose it. Here, you only pay for what you use. Um, and if you go out of bundle, in other words, if you buy a five gig bundle and prepay for that, um, it switches to five cents a megabyte outside of your bundle, which is exactly the same price, 50 rand a gig, that you're paying for the, the normal data. So in actual fact, there is no, it doesn't matter how much you buy or how much you don't buy, you pay the same price, which is an absolute bonus. And they've also got an interesting little offer, which gives you unlimited off-peak data for 250 rand a month. Now, that's a lot of guys have these off-peak data little packages, and they have all sorts of things that they do around that. But this one's really clever. You get 19 hours out of 24. So they're only essentially five hours a day where you can't use and you have to go into a bundle. So between 6 at night and, and 11 o'clock at night, you, you have to use your own data. In other words... You, you pay for the data that you use. So if you've got 5 gig, that's the sort of thing that you use between 6 and 11. The rest of the time, for 250 rand a month, you can download as much as you want, you can upload as much as you want, and you only pay 250 rand a month. Obviously, for streaming, watching movies, doing stuff, 6 o'clock to 11 o'clock is peak. That's when everyone's on the internet, everyone's watching Netflix, doing whatever they want to do. And I've used Rain for Netflix, I must tell you. Um, the, the quality is excellent. It works perfectly, even for ultra, for ultra HD 4K. works like a bomb. So if you're looking for probably the best sort of data pricing and packaging, I mean, 50 Rand a gig is probably the, the least expensive mobile data that you're going to buy. The only difference is you cannot make voice calls. This is a data-only network. You get a number, but no one can phone you on that number. Simply the number is the way the technology works. So if you're looking for a data-only package, go to rain.co.za, go have a look at their website, and you'll be really, imp I think, you'll be pretty impressed with the packages that they've got. They've got a whole range of different packages from SIM-only, which, as I say, will work in almost every single 4G LTE phone, as well as the various routers, the Huawei's, the ZTEs. doesn't matter which little router you've got. It'll just work quite easily. Alternatively, you can get little packages where you can buy the routers from them, and they've got a whole host of different options, different packages. But essentially, the key to remember that this is 50 Rand, a gig of data. doesn't matter whether you're in bundle, out of bundle. That's all you're going to pay for the data. And you only pay for what you use. You don't, if you only use uh, 500 meg, you only pay 500 meg. You don't pay one gig and lose 500 meg at the end of the month. So they say they're going to bring even more interesting deals, but right now it's really easy. You can get, you buy three SIMs, which as a sign-on bonus, you get 15 days of unlimited data for 120 rand. Or you, they've got a range of Huawei Lite routers from the little portable up to 4,600 rand, and that covers the cost of the um, the router itself, not the data that you use thereafter. You sign up on their website. Um, it's not a prepaid option for this moment in time, but you pay for your router, you pay for your SIMs, and then you use data at 50 Rand a gig. And on that note, we're going to come back with, uh, we're just going to have a quick break for adverts, and then we will be back with some more interesting news around tech. <laughs> Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose, 11 to 12 p.m., only on 101.9 IFM. Well, welcome back. And now I've got, uh, you know, we've had all the rain. Rain in Cape Town's good. Rain across the country's good. Cheap data's always good. And uh, let's hope the price, this does create a little bit of a price war and guys out there react because they will. There's just no question that it'll shake the industry up a little because the other guys, I mean, why would you buy data, mobile data from anyone else when you can get it at half the price from Rain? The next cheapest is actually Telcom, for, which charges around about 99 Rand for one gig of data. The difference is it doesn't have a phone call so, or a phone option, so you can't use it as your main sort of phone system. Who knows? But data seems to be, a lot of people just use WhatsApp and 
use uh, data. They don't actually make that many phone calls. So let's see how this shakes up the industry. But here is another little interesting wrinkle in the tech saga. And it's part of a warning, part of information. But some two court cases have been, uh, this is the tech show, not the legal show, but two court cases recently have confirmed the following warning that I'm going to be giving you here. And listen carefully because this is really important. If you ignore an SMS demanding payment for an outstanding account or a loan on the basis that they're not the same as a registered letter. Now, I know that a lot of people don't worry about these things, but it happens to everyone at some point in time. You get an SMS saying, please pay your account. You know, this is a final demand. We are going to take legal action. Well, these two court cases have now confirmed that a registered SMS sent to your mobile phone is exactly the same as a registered letter. So you cannot deny that you were informed that someone wanted to demand a payment, and they can go to court, and if you don't defend it, they can take judgment, and then it becomes a huge problem to get that all sorted out. And it can be over trivial amounts. So Watch your SMSs. Watch them very, very carefully. If you get an SMS demanding money and there's a reference code on that SMS, I know a lot of people tend to ignore them or, you know, overlook them. So what? They'll phone me back or, you know, you get busy. Just realize that in law now, an SMS that you receive on your phone, because the minute you look at it and open it, it registered with the mobile networks to say that it's been delivered and it's been read. Once that happens, it's as good as being sent a registered letter demanding payment. So be a little bit more vigilant on your SMSs if you get any demanding payment, and they can even be an error, but it doesn't matter because based on your receipt of an SMS, the person whom you owe money to or purports that you owe money to them can go to court and take out a judgment against you without any further action on their behalf. So... It's bad news in some ways, but it certainly does if you're a guy who, you know, collects money or if you have people who owe you money, you can actually send the final demand by SMS. You no longer need to rush to the post office, register a letter and wait for receipt a couple of weeks until you get notification from our post office to say, guess what? Um, we finally, or this person has collected a registered letter. And truth be told, most of us who get a registered letter don't go collect them because we probably know that perhaps they are, are a demand. So SMSs are now exactly the same electronic delivery like anything else. So now moving on to something just a little bit more more exciting for me anyway, technology-based. But um, Apple recently, as I said, had their... their Worldwide Developer Conference, and you know, <laughs> it's so it's so interesting to see what the um, pundits all say about this. I mean, so many people are saying Apple are over and they've had their day and nothing more is happening. Meanwhile, their share price just keeps on going up, and users of Apple products generally tend to be extremely happy with what they've got. Things just work the way they do, and um, on they go. But this Worldwide Developer Conference, their keynote was really interesting. A couple of great new advancements, a couple of really interesting changes in the software. They've announced two new software platforms. And the reason they do this now and only deliver these platforms in September and, with, and they do it to the developers is really, really critical because often they make so many fundamental changes to the underlying structure of the program that runs your iPhone, that runs your Mac, that the developers themselves need time to modify all their programs, update all their apps, chain, make all the changes so that the experience that the user has, you and I, down the road, is as flawless and as seamless as they would like it to be. Because there's just no question that when you go from iOS 10 to iOS 11, a whole lot of things just don't work the same way. They didn't work the same way. Things changed. Apps stopped working. Lots of little crashes and oddities started happening. And over a quick period of time, the the developers had fixed so much of it. Now, what I do is I always go ahead and download the latest versions like iOS 12. I haven't done it because I'm in Taipei and I don't want to break my phone while I'm traveling. Um, but generally, I download it and I accept the fact that it's a little bit flaky. There are tons of bugs. 
there's a lot of applications that simply do not work, some of them quite critical. The last time I found my banking app stopped working. But iOS 12 is bringing a couple of really interesting changes. The first and most important one, which I think is a, is a reaction to some of the criticisms that Apple got. One, they were criticized that every update of the software tends to slow your phone down so that you're forced to buy new hardware down the road. And in fact, they got caught out, not caught out, but they poorly communicated the fact that as your battery aged, they actually did slow your phone down so that you wouldn't have these catastrophic failures. In other words, your battery got a 40%, and because the battery was weak, the phone tried to do a particular function, and then, boom, it would just switch off. And it's happened to all of us at some point in time. So what they did is they slowed the processor down to stop the phone switching off. So you still had a phone that worked. It just worked slowly. So, in fact, yes, the urban legend was true. Apple was slowing your phone down. But, no, they weren't doing it for you to buy new phones. They were doing it in order to give you a slightly better service because having a phone that constantly just switched off because the processor demanded more than the battery could deliver certainly would create um, a whole host of uh, problems. So, but here's the good news in iOS 12. One, it's going to work on even more phones that um, older phones, and they are going to make these devices noticeably faster. So they reckon that your camera will launch much, much quicker with iOS 12 on even much older, down to iPhone 5s. Uh, much faster, and apps will load much, much quicker um, in the normal normal course, even again on much older phones. So they've done some work on iOS 12 right deep in the operating system to try to speed things up enormously. They've also done a lot of work on Siri, because Siri, I believe, is probably the dumbest of these smart assistants out there right now. You often you know, call Siri and ask Siri to do certain things, and it just doesn't know what's going on. But they're bringing a huge update to the whole Siri ecosystem to try to bring it right in line with Alexa and Cortana and all these other smart assistants and Google uh, Assistant. And they say that those are going to be hugely um, smart and very predictive. So if you always go and buy a coffee at 5 o'clock in the afternoon, Siri will know, it will suggest it, it will give you the directions, it will do whatever you normally do. Um, down the road. So if you're walking past your favorite coffee shop, it might pull up the notification that you need. So obviously Starbucks is starting to come into South Africa and the app does work, but it's not, you can't do online ordering yet. But in America, you can do that. So Siri would simply, if it sees you heading towards the coffee shop, it will send an order for your usual latte and off you go. So smart computers always watching you. Um, And another major thing that iOS and Android have been highlighting lately, and a lot of people have been saying and talking about it, is that people just don't seem to be able to control themselves when they're near a cell phone. You go to a restaurant and you see four people sitting around the table all playing on their cell phones instead of talking, eating a meal, which is pretty crazy. But they brought, so what Apple are trying to do is bring new features in iOS 12 which will try to fix that problem. So Keep you keep your screen time down a little bit. Try to keep you away from the phone as much as possible. So, for example, do not disturb during bedtime will automatically go on. That looks pretty useful. And also, what it does um, when you you know the, the the iOS 12 will have an app which shows you what you do on your phone when you're on your phone, how many hours you've been on the phone and you can set screen times through that app for when you're not allowed to use the phone so if you play or or restrict certain apps from working during a certain time so if you've got kids you tell them the phone can ring you so instead of just switching off the phone and they can't receive calls so they're doing homework they're not somewhere whatever you can actually restrict their access of certain apps so they can't use them but the phone still rings and they can still make calls and they still can do certain things so I think there's going to be a lot of changes around that, a lot of refinement in order to get it to work. But both Apple and Android and the Google guys reckon that 
perhaps there's better ways of spending your time than sitting on the phone, especially when you're sitting across from someone, a human being whom you can actually talk to. They're also getting a new thing. Some people call them creepy, and some people yeah, will love them. But it's called the Memoji. They've had an emojis. In other words, you could take those cute little emojis, foxes and, and, and interesting things and animate them through the, the iPhone 10 screen. Uh, you know, the, the iPhone 10 has got that special 3D camera on the front. You could animate the emoji and you could send a message of some fox talking with your voice and making facial things. Well, now they've actually uh, increased that um, and called it an emoji and even given a whole bunch of avatars which can look a little bit like you. You can pick the hair and the color and the, all sorts of things. And you can then um, animate those. Now, I can see we're running ahead of ourselves. We have to have a quick break for our sponsors. And we will be back with a little bit more news of what happened at WWDC from Apple. And then we're going to move into my roundup of um, all the stuff and all the interesting crazy gadgets and bits and pieces that I saw right here at Computex in Taipei. Hi FM Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose. Stephen Ambrose. Well, welcome back. And no Tech Talk Cafe this time. Wasn't able to get anyone in studio. No one wanted to fly 15 hours to come and join me so that we could put them on air. But apart from that... Um, We'll just carry on talking about what's going on with WWDC and some of the interesting changes that Apple are making. There's a new version version of uh, Mac OS, which uh, is coming out in September again, and it is going to be called Mac OS Mojave, which or Mojave, which gets really interesting new functions and features. What they have done over the last couple of years is bring Mac OS and iOS, Mac OS is their computer operating system, iOS being their smartphone and tablet operating system, a lot closer. And in fact, they announced, and this has been a rumor for many years, that over the next little while, they didn't give timings, but over the next little while, Mac OS will, will run iOS apps. So any app that runs on your iPhone will ultimately run on your, your Mac as well, which makes a lot of sense. What's Interesting is how they're going to inter integrate the two. Will the data on the two be the same? But there's a lot of answers to be, you know, questions to be answered through that. But they're now laying the framework of being able to run iOS apps, all the millions of apps in the App Store, on Mac OS in the little future. It also brought out a really cool-looking dark mode, so you can switch with the latest Mojave um, update when it comes in September. Look, betas will be, for all you geeks out there, the guys that really want to play way in advance of when they should, as long as you're aware of one little proviso. When you go beta and you lose, lose data, just too bad. Just back up everything. Never have a, a, an issue with data because betas, by their very nature, are unstable. Things break. Things go wrong. Computers crash. They become unusable. All sorts of weirdnesses happen. Though I will say that over the years, the Apple and even the Windows uh, beaters have been so slick. Oddities happen, but I've never had a catastrophic failure. But they are entirely possible. In the next week or two, both these operating systems, for the developers, they're giving uh, beaters right now. You can download them and install them. But for the general public, they will be releasing iOS 12 public beta, probably towards the end of June, early July, and the same thing will happen with the Mac OS Mojave. They'll probably also release a beta so you can play with all the new features. You can start familiarizing yourself with all the new functions and just a little bump in speed. If you've got an older phone and you download the latest version of iOS 12, I've heard or I've seen online already those that have downloaded it have said there's been quite a bump in performance. And who does not want a little performance bump on their phones. Things open a little snappier, a little bit quicker, a little bit slicker. But as I say, those beaters will be out. It'll be a little bit, um, a little bit uh, problematic. There will definitely be issues and little strangenesses that are going to creep into everything. But back to some of the new updates. There are a host of cool new features. The new black mode in Mojave is pretty cool. It, everything switches from white to black. They've changed the graphics. It really looks very cool. I know that's purely cosmetic. But what they've also done is create something 
and this for me has always been one of the weaknesses of the Mac OS. Windows has an incredibly linear, logical, stackable, easy to use file system. Like Windows or hate Windows, when it came to logically placing files wherever you wanted them, accessing those files in a real clever little tree structure worked like a bomb. There's just nothing to beat it. Mac OS, on the other hand, sometimes stored the files in strange places. You didn't know where it was. It was in this folder or that folder or somewhere. Just weird. Just difficult sometimes to figure out where your things were. Well, what they've done is they've created a type of dynamic desktop sort, sort, which they call dynamic stacks. So what happens is all like files will get grouped together and organize themselves in a much more sort of logical and clever function. So instead of having this desktop with a million different dispersed files, if you know it's a PDF file, they'll all be in one place, alphabetically organized. If it's a Word document, it'll all be in one place, organized. Again, you probably can select by date, by name, whatever it is, which starts giving it a really um, much clearer way of understanding where your files are, and the file bro- there's also a new file browsing method which calls which they've called Gallery View, which puts all the information into simple editing buttons and makes it much easier for you to find and look. So expect to see some really interesting new um, functionality around all these um, these new app things around the new OS from Mac. They also announced a couple of other little updates for various other things. There's a new Watch OS 5. It's going to have some interesting uh, modes. But one of them is there's a walkie-talkie on your watch. So you can walkie-talk to whomever, to other watches and to your phone. And you can actually, instead of making phone calls, which will be quite interesting between your your various things. And if you've got an Apple TV 4, the latest version 4K, not 4, I think it's 6, the Apple TV 6, the latest 4K version, they've increased or uh, they've improved the um, support for Dolby high-end sort of uh, modes for video, and that will actually be rolling out straight away. That's just an add-on function. They promised it was coming. It is now coming. And if you've got the latest generation LG or Samsung TVs, Dolby Atmos and HDR and Dolby various enhancements to um, to your products and to your, your, your TVs will be coming through from an Apple TV. And what they've also said, as per usual, is they'll update any content you bought. So any movie you own, any content you bought through the App Store, you will be able to, it will be upgraded immediately to the latest version with Dolby Atmos and with all the various HDRs and everything else. Also, expect the Mac App Store to get a massive update, upgrade, change. There's going to be a lot of little tweaks and fiddles and changes to the entire Apple ecosystem. But their new look looks pretty cool. It seems that they're creating far greater integration between macOS, iOS, and your various, and the way that all the apps talk and, and, and handle data between themselves. So expect to see a lot of changes over the next couple of months. And as I said, warning to those of you who are super adventurous, the betas will be out. You'll be able to warned that these betas are just that. There are going to be little interesting uh, problems that are going to crop up. But if you are interested and you are invested in the Mac operating system, got a Mac, got an iPhone, it seems to be a really solid, forward-looking um, developer conference. A lot of focus on uh, AR, which is augmented reality, with a whole new AR kit that is being launched, which will allow them to integrate augmented objects into far more programs. Oh, the other thing I didn't mention, Siri will now also work with a lot more uh, apps that weren't specifically designed to work with Siri. Right now, unless the, the app itself works with Siri directly, you can't handle the functions within the app. You can open the app, but then you are a little bit stuck. And one other thing for those of you who've got Apple CarPlay, Apple CarPlay, the new version of it in iOS 12, will enable third-party mapping apps. And I've had this problem in the last couple of weeks. I tried CarPlay in a Ford Mustang, of all things, and I could not get um, the only map would was Apple Maps. And Apple Maps 
with respect to Apple, is not great. It really doesn't do a great job at navigating. I tried to use Waze, but I couldn't do that. I tried to use Google Maps, couldn't do that. Because once the system, the, car, the Apple CarPlay system had switched to Apple, the only maps that was available was Apple Maps. Well, they are in iOS 12, they've enabled third-party apps or third-party maps to work, and they will be coming. So that, for me, was like quite a big, big, big change. Right, I think that's enough of all things Apple and all things uh, developer-wise around Apple. Now it's Computex time. And what, as I said earlier, what an amazing and interesting show this is. Computex is very much focused on the PC and technologies around the various um, ecosystems and development of the gizmos and the gadgets. So the sensors that make things possible. Like I'll talk a little bit about one of the, the big um, press conferences I went to was ASUS. ASUS is a Taiwanese company. They make a host of different products, computers they're quite well known for, routers, you know, the little uh, Wi-Fi routers that you use in your home, ADSL modems, they make a whole ton of those. They also have a division called Republic of Gamer Gamers, which is their gaming uh, section, which by far was the busiest and most exciting. A whole host of new products there. But essentially, ASUS announced, and, and this is something I actually saw last year, Right now, the average wearable, your watch, your Fitbit, your Galaxy Gear, whatever it is that you're wearing, can check your blood pressure. It can, sorry, can't check your blood pressure. It can check your heart rate. It can check all sorts of other little things, but it cannot, could not up to now reliably check your blood pressure on a wrist type device. Well, ASUS have now launched a watch that within 15 seconds gives you Absolutely medically accurate blood pressure simply by touching it, touching your finger to the watch for 15 seconds and it gives you completely accurate blood pressure results. And those sensors, um, and that's without any cuff or anything, it's simply wearing a watch on your arm. The watch that they launched is a little bit big, I must say. Um, it wasn't the sort of slickest, slickest uh, looking device, it's quite chunky. But essentially, if you have to check your blood pressure, why not? You've got a tiny little device, a watch, which does it for you without any hassle and super, super, super quickly. And the sensors that are used for that originated here in Taiwan by some Taiwanese company. And it was really interesting to see those type of things everywhere. The, there's huge focus on the Taiwanese technology industry, and in conjunction with their universities here, they were showcasing the most crazy cutting-edge um, gear that you could ever see, and that you would ever imagine. And in fact, I think I'll, I'll lead with that, because that, for me, was so interesting. In one of the halls, I wandered in, and I saw an infrared body scanner, which essentially looks like a dressing booth. What you do is you download an app on your phone and uh, you walk into the dressing booth and you put your, your phone down and it leads you through a whole little system which allows you to get this thing to give you a complete 3D scan of your body using infrared. And the benefit of this, now you should be doing it in your um, underwear because that gives you the best sort of view of your body. But the benefit of this is, is that you can then use that image through the app to figure out your sizes. And the app itself has got a whole host of um, various manufacturers or many various clothing manufacturers uh, sizing. So Nike, uh, Uniqlo, you name it, they had a whole bunch of um, clothing apps. And if you put on a T-shirt, it, it would tell you, based on the scan of your body, what size your T-shirt is. Uh, and these are just crazy. It's it's not uh, not commercial yet. I think they're trying their best to bring it to the market. But essentially, can you imagine that you do a full body scan and then the, the, the actual app allows you to custom make any clothes that you want? And it'll, you can choose the fabric. It can measure it and custom fit 
absolutely everything that you want to wear. And you get you can order clothing online that is absolutely made for your body shape 100%. But obviously the picture is just a, a white shape model of your body. There was absolutely nothing else there. But it's absolutely incredible. You can It swivels in 3D. You can then pick one Adidas, Nike, any one of these guys, and they've got their various pants, shirts, whatever it is, and you can say, okay, H&M, they even had all the sizing, so you can then choose what it is that you want to wear and order it in line and know that it will fit, which is quite an amazing feature. So just one scan, and you can store it. It stores in the app on your phone. It doesn't go into the cloud. It's stored there for you to use. I mean, that is just such a, a wonderful use of technology for no particular, you know, no particular reason, but it, it's just something that is incredible to see. One of the other most incredible things that I saw was I went to a press conference with a company called NVIDIA. Now, NVIDIA are the people, if you've ever been involved in gaming, NVIDIA make and have made and still make some of the best gaming uh, GPUs, that's the video processor cards on the market right now. If you've got a high-end gaming rig, if you want to run any form of, of PC game at high speed and uh, properly, you need a really serious video card. And NVIDIA is the company that made it. But NVIDIA, over the last couple of years, has been really moving to the frontier of processing within computing. And it's actually quite interesting. The, they pointed out something quite... I, I didn't realize this, and it's something that a lot of people seem to just have forgotten. There's been Moore's Law, which always said the number of transistors doubled every year, and the performance also doubled over any particular period of time, and it kept on and has been keeping on like that for many, many, many years. Gordon Moore created this law many years back at Intel. However, of late, what has been happening is that despite the fact that they've been doubling the number of transistors on the chips, the sheer compute power has... Processor, ...the standard little Intel processor, or in fact all processors, their power, their ability to compute has been flattening. And for many years, the video processor was simply used to run the picture on your screen. That was it. But over the last few years, they've been starting to use the massive power of the GPU, which is the video processor, to augment the processing power of the processor. So a, a, a CPU, which is the central processing unit, which is the chip inside your PC, along with the GPU, which was the video processor, the one that ran your screen, have been working together to come up with computing as a package that is much more powerful than either one together. And that's exactly what um, our friends at um, NVIDIA have been doing. And they've been putting together some amazing, amazing um, packages of processor solutions that are unbelievably powerful and are going to be used. In fact, they had picked, uh, the guy doing the uh, demonstration picked up a little thing that was smaller than a cell phone and said, this particular processing, processing unit has more power than a $100,000 workstation, and we're going to sell this thing for $2,000. And that's right now available to anybody who wants to buy it. Here is a little processing unit, which is one-tenth of the price of the fastest computer you can buy out there, and it is as powerful, if not more powerful, for certain functions and where this particular thing is aimed for and we'll be back straight after this quick ad break um, and I'll explain where they're going to use this particular little processing unit which has a super interesting name so we'll be back straight after this and we'll be talking some more about NVIDIA's processors. Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose 11 to 12 p.m. only on 101.9 IFM. Welcome back, and we've been talking about NVIDIA, the chipset company, which is starting to compete with Intel and others in many, many respects. In fact, little known fact is that the NVIDIA processor 
is the one that runs the um, Tesla motor cars. So all the Tesla's self-driving capabilities, the screens, in fact, the entire function of the Tesla motor car is run via an NVIDIA chip. Um, and those chips handle an enormous amount of processing power through tons and tons of different inputs, direction, humidity, temperature, cameras, radar, you name it, and all of that gets computed, and the car can basically, right now, I know there's been a lot of talk about this, but certainly can drive itself for the most part. Well, the latest chip, and something that's not in the latest Teslas for now, and what I was talking about a little easier, is something called the Jetson Xavier. Now, some people, those of you who watch the Jetsons cartoons will get the reference, but they've called their latest processor the Jetson Xavier. And here's where it gets more and more like Westworld every day. Um, it, it is used in combination with the Isaac operating system or the Isaac platform. And how this all hangs together, this is where it really gets super, super interesting. Basically, this particular processor has been designed for robots. Now, right now, they supply processors, and there are tons of little autonomous robots running around in factories, in operations, in warehouses, doing specific tasks. So there's picking robots, there's packing robots, there's robots that clean, there's robots that put things together, that put labels on things. Tons and tons of robots, which are single-purpose type units that are created for factories, for production lines, for wherever you are around the world, are already in place. They, they fill milk bottles, they measure certain things. There are just so many things that we don't even understand or take totally for granted. A modern factory today is full of computers. Those computers are in little machines that run around, do certain things. Well, the, this Jetson Xavier processor is for the next generation. In a way, for computers that actually have now got the ability to program themselves. Because what has happened is that there are so many variables. Imagine a car driving down the road. You're sitting in a car, you're looking out the window, you can see, you can hear, you can control. There is just tons and tons of information coming at you. Someone drives into your way, you break. Someone swerves towards you, you move. There's just a zillion things happening at any point in time. And trying to program for absolutely every eventuality becomes an impossible task. There is no way that any where any programmer can program absolutely every eventuality possible into a program that allows a car to drive down a road, a robot to run around a factory and make things, pick up things, deliver things, whatever it is that they want to do, effectively 99.999% of the time. So what has happened is what NVIDIA have created is this Isaac platform which creates a virtual world and this is where it gets really interesting. This virtual world will be a copy of the factory floor in which they want the this, this stock-picking robot to operate. And what they do is they teach the robot what to do in the virtual world. So they create the robot, which is a mechanical and computer device. They then set it up within software, within the Isaac platform, utilizing this Jetson processor. And... Then they let it loose within the virtual world that they've created. It goes and picks certain things. It picks certain products. It delivers it. It does this. It does all sorts of things. They program this computer within a virtual environment. And the programs and the algorithms that run this computer are so complex and so uh, advanced that they actually start programming themselves. And this is where the beginning of artificial intelligence is. It's still machine learning. It's not really intelligent. But essentially, with a given set of variables, the computer itself can figure out what needs to be done next with cameras and sensors and proximity sensors and all these other little gadgets that are, are easily available, all being made in Taiwan by, com by the guys just, you know, showing at Computex. Those, those sensors... All the data that's gathered from that is computed and collected within the, the processor. And this lo robot then learns everything it needs to know about doing its job 
in this virtual world. They then download all that information into a processor and stick it into a physical robot and set that robot off uh, in, in, the, in the factory or the process where they want that thing to go. And it is just so science fiction to think that they are creating all the stuff in software. They're doing it in a virtual world, in a virtual environment, then downloading it to a physical processor, computer, machine, and setting that machine out to do it. Most interestingly, most of the big Amazon distribution centers are robot controlled. The robot now can go figure out what it needs to get. If something's been moved or it's not there, it can figure out what to do. It can pick that particular item. It can take it to the place where it needs to be. It boxes it. It seals it. It labels it. And it sends it on its way to you. And 99.99% of the time, the person receiving the item from Amazon, whoever it is, didn't even realize that no human hand touched it. From the time those goods were delivered to the Amazon store till the time it was delivered to you, no human hand touched that particular item. And they've got millions upon millions of items. Imagine programming all of that into your your virtual world. Now, I can see that we've absolutely run out of time. So what I want to do is just talk a little bit about ASUS, um, the company that um, you know, I went to see all their – they're a Taiwanese company, and they've done some amazing things. They launched a whole host of new products, and one of the coolest things that I saw is their new laptop has an additional screen in the touchpad. So a normal touchpad that you see in a laptop is just something that you can move around. Well, what ASUS have decided to do is say, no, 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 no. That is not simply a place that you touch for a mouse. We can actually turn it into an additional screen, and we can add all sorts of functionality to that screen. So, for example, if you open up an Excel spreadsheet on your main computer, a simple touch on the touchpad, you can have a whole host of functionality like a calculator pop up on your touchpad. You can still use the the mouse. It still moves around, but you can do a quick calculation and insert it into your uh, into any cell on your uh, spreadsheet. You can do all sorts of interesting calculations, and they're all there on a touchpad. And a quick swipe with your finger. Now, at first I thought this was a real gimmick, but then I spent some time actually using it with Excel, with Word, with PowerPoint. Um, also, which was really interesting, if you're busy messaging someone uh, through Skype or whatever it is, you can move that messaging to your touchpad while you're watching a video on the main screen. So some really, really innovative, interesting new product um, from ASUS. And one of the other Republic of Gamer type um, interesting products that I was pretty taken with is they've launched a smartphone for gamers. Now, gamers are an interesting bunch. They take a PC and they basically put it on steroids. They put huge amounts of processing power. They overclock the processor. They add external water heat sinks and they do all sorts of interesting stuff and they have the fastest screen so that you've got the best you know, reaction time so you don't miss a shot in the game. Well, Asus have done this with their, their phone. They've launched a phone with a screen that is an order of magnitude faster than a screen you'll find on a normal cell phone. And I must tell you, I played with it briefly, spent some time with it. The screen is remarkable. It also has a clip-on air cooler, mainly because Qualcomm, the people who make the processor, have created a special processor for this phone, which is overclocked. It runs faster and hotter than any other in a normal phone. But that being said, the phone is absolutely gorgeous to behold. Don't know if it'll ever come to South Africa. I don't know when it'll. It should launch in the next six, three to six months uh, around the world. And I'm not sure if gamers are really ready for a, a, a high-end mobile phone. But this certainly was one of the most compelling sort of looks at what is possible for gaming on a phone because more and more and more people are gaming on a phone. And the combination of a really fast, high-quality screen, an incredibly fast, powerful processor, tons of memory. This particular phone has got more memory than the average uh, laptop and certainly more storage, up to 500 gigabytes of storage uh, on the phone itself which is, again, more than most laptops have today if they're running a, a solid-state drive. And um, so from specs 
And from every other point of view, this Asus phone is without question the most powerful phone on the market by a huge way. It's pretty good-looking as well, milled out of solid aluminium with one of the, the coolest, brightest, sharpest screens that I've ever seen on a mobile phone. So, so many, so many things happening here with regard to the quality and the the sheer amount of interesting product in terms of processing and computing power. And there's just no question that we are seeing an absolute revolution in the sheer power of computers across all walks of life, from the simple machines that pick and pack product in a warehouse, that run around your house and vacuum the floor, uh, mop the floor at the same time should it be required, auto-detecting whether it's tile or carpet, things like this, and then, you know, it starts getting low on charge and the little uh, vacuum robot then rushes back to its dock, docks itself, charges itself, and goes back to where it left off, having mapped the room using radar pretty much like your car does when it's driving down the road. All these processes are becoming unbelievably more powerful. Intel announced a 36 um, processor chip sometime this year, not to be um, let down. There were product announcements from Ace, Ace uh, not Asus, sorry, I'm getting a little bit from NVIDIA, from Intel, from AMD, and of course from Qualcomm about brand new chips, much more powerful processors that are going into laptops, phones, robots, you name it. So the one overriding thing I must say that that completely stood out for me at Computex this year was the sheer amount of smart items that are going to land up in your home in the nearest future, in your hand in the nearest future. Laptops are going to have average of 15 to 20 hours battery life with processing power that make a two-year-old computer look absolutely amateurish. And that will enable us to do things that we never, ever, ever thought possible in the augmented reality, virtual reality space. And certainly the amount of robots, robots that help children, robots that help old people, robots that run your home, robots that run your business, there's going to be a massive explosion of those. And I'll bring you more of it when I'm back in South Africa next week. I've got some really interesting stories about certain other robots that I met and interacted with. But until then, I'm afraid we've run out of time. This is Stephen Ambrose on Tech Talk right here on High FM.